Hello, everyone. Welcome to the podcast. And today we're talking about developing your voice. I remember my first years in the classroom, and I had a really embarrassing moment in the classroom. Well, a lot of embarrassing moments. But the one that comes to mind is when one of my students just blurted out, Why are you touching your face? And at the time, I guess I had this habit of touching my face when I was nervous or thinking. I ended up breaking that habit, but if that existed, I kind of wondered what other things did I do that I was unaware of. Another student during my first years just interrupted my lecture by saying, um, right when I said it. And I guess it's kind of a good thing that students have no filter because eventually this helped me develop my teacher presence. But I never realized I had so many kind of filler words in my speech. The thing about being in a classroom is that students will notice everything about you. I'm not telling you this to freak you out, but if you are as unwitting as I was during my first years, you might have a rude awakening coming. You know, they'll just notice every little thing about you. So what can you do to resolve this problem? Well, the main culprit is probably going to be filler words. You know, words like, um, uh, er, like, okay. Now I'm not saying you need to cut this completely out of your speech. And you've probably noticed that I use filler words now and then. Everybody uses filler words when they're speaking in conversation. But you should probably think about mitigating your use of these words. It's normal in everyday speech, but teaching is a little bit different. Let me give you an example. Imagine for a moment I have directions that I'm going to give to the students. All right, I'll give you two examples. Let's say... My first example, I use a lot of filler words, all right? So I say something like, good morning, everyone. Um, I hope you had a good weekend. Um, or please get out your spiral notebooks and uh, something to write with. Go ahead and, um, yeah, um, title your page warm up and draw like a, a T-chart on your paper that fills up the, the page, the whole page. All right, so that's my first example. And here's my second example. Good morning, everyone. I hope you had a good weekend. Please get out your spiral notebooks and something to write with. Go ahead and title your page warm up and draw a T-chart on your page that fills the entire page. All right, so obviously the directions without the filler words is going to sound a little bit better and also it's going to be a lot less confusing for the students as well. You will also sound a lot more authoritative if you are speaking in a way that is clear and concise. The thing about giving directions is that you're going to have to give directions multiple times as a teacher. Alright, students are never going to understand your directions the first time through. Most of them might understand, but I can guarantee you that you will have to repeat directions to students. Now, if you gave good directions, you might only need to repeat yourself two or maybe three times. 
If you didn't speak so clearly when you gave directions or you gave directions to students that didn't really make a whole lot of sense, it's possible that you might need to repeat yourself four or five or even six times to students. I found that the younger students are, the more times you may have to repeat yourself and remind students kind of what we're doing. You never know what students are thinking about when you're talking to an entire class, right? And when you've got students in your classroom, you know, 30, 40 students in your class, of course, not every student is going to be paying 100% attention all the time. Ideally, you'd like them to, but you never know what is running through their mind. So really, you don't want to detract from the student's ability to understand your message. These filler words are sort of our way of filling dead air or awkward blanks in our speech. Using filler words is not always bad. Using these kinds of words sort of falls onto a scale. You know, on the far left of the scale being normal everyday speech, and on the far right of the scale being formal presentations. Of course, we'll use these sorts of filler words in everyday speech and conversations. Unless you do it a lot, people aren't really going to notice. I'm sure you have that friend that uses filler words more than you like, and maybe you find it a little bit annoying the way they speak. But for the most part, people use filler words during everyday conversation, and it's no big deal. However, on the far right of the scale is presentations, right? When giving a presentation, you should essentially eliminate filler words completely. Teaching, though, is not necessarily a formal presentation most of the time. Teaching falls somewhere in between. We're not giving a formal presentation, but we're not really having a casual conversation either. You'll have to decide what works best for you, but for me, I tried to rid myself of as many filler words as possible, and I still use some, which I'm fine with, but I tried to get rid of all of them kind of knowing that I wasn't going to really get rid of all of the filler words. So that was kind of my approach to it. When you're teaching a class, you're really going to have to be ready for anything, right? You're not, you're not giving a presentation in the way that a keynote speaker would. You're interacting with students. It's a little bit like being a comedian in a way. Comedians work the crowd, they deal with hecklers. They deal with people acting a little crazy. They might have to call security if things get out of control. That's kind of what it's like as a teacher. You have to be ready for anything. I remember a time when there were a couple of students in my class and we were working on an activity, a partner activity. I don't remember exactly what it was, but we we're working on the activity. And a couple of students, two of the girls that were in my class, and these, these two girls were very, very big girls. Right? One of them was 6'4", like and the other one's like 6'2". Big girls. They were on our basketball team, and they were uh, working on the assignment, and they started kind of messing around. They're, at the time, I didn't know exactly what they were doing. They were kind of laughing, pushing each other. I couldn't see exactly what they were doing, but they were getting a little bit loud, right? So I decided that I needed to come over there. So I walked over there and I walked over there. It's like, hey guys, come on, let's settle down a little bit. Let's get back to work. And whatever, it was fine. They got back to work. And uh, I went about, you know, kind of circling the room and 
making sure that everyone was on task and it, you know, making sure anyone that needed help was getting help. And what ended up happening is about five minutes after I walked away from those two girls, one of them stood up and as soon as she stood up, she fell flat on her face, just bam, flat onto the ground. And I was looking over there thinking like, what? What just happened? Like, I don't understand. How did she just stand up and then fall over? Like the desk like got, even the desk kind of flipped on its side and she was flat on her face on the ground. And it was loud. You know, my classroom at the time had tile floors and it was just a loud smack on the ground. And I, I kind of run over there, rush over there. And as I'm getting close to her, I realize what happened is that I see that her shoes are tied together. And this is what she and her friend were doing when they were laughing and messing around earlier when I told them to settle down. And I guess when I told them to settle down, they kind of forgot what they were doing and they got back to work. And then, and since she forgot, when she stood up, she fell over. So as I rushed over, you know, I rushed over to the student and I'm realizing this, I kind of kneel down and bend over and I kind of whisper in her ear like, hey, are you hurt or are you just really embarrassed? And she kind of whispers back to me like, oh yeah, I'm, I'm just really embarrassed, right? So I told her, okay, this is what we're gonna do. We're gonna stay here for a couple minutes, maybe one or two minutes. That way people will think that you're hurt and they won't make fun of you for just falling on your face. So she lays there and I kind of kneel by her side for a few minutes. And after a few minutes go by, I tell her, okay, you're gonna slowly get up now and I want you to go to the bathroom and you're gonna wait in the bathroom for 10 minutes and then come back to class slowly. That way when you come back, people will be concerned, they won't make fun of you and you can just come back in and sit down, right? So the, you know, this is, the, it's funny, you know, cause this is the type of thing that might follow a student for a while. And it might be uncomfortable for the student and they might be embarrassed. And, you know, I want to try and avoid embarrassing situations for students. I want them to feel comfortable in the classroom. And I also kind of want them to be on my side as well. And I think after this incident, this student kind of saw me in a different way. And because she was one of the sort of loud and vocal students in the class that her respect for me changed as a teacher and it kind of changed the way she approached the class as well. All right, sorry, I know that was a little bit of a tangent, but let's get back to filler words and what you can do to kind of stop using the filler words. The first thing you can do is identify what words you're using. The best way is probably to record yourself and I'll have to warn you that watching yourself on video is usually not that great a feeling. It's probably gonna feel kind of awkward. I remember a professor telling me once that we don't like photos or videos of ourselves because we most often see mirror images of ourselves. And when we look at video, it doesn't feel like we're looking at the right version of ourselves, so to speak, because we're not really used to looking at that image. But I wonder if that's going to change with 
video on phones and selfies. But anyway, when it comes to watching the video of yourself teaching for the first time, you might consider watching it without the audio. It might be a little bit uh, jarring to see yourself, see your posture, see your mannerisms, but you should be able to evaluate your presence in the classroom just based on the video. Once you've watched it once through, maybe watch it a second time through with the audio, and then you can kind of keep track of the filler words that you, that you use. So once you've done that, you can just stop using the filler words, right? Easy. <laughs> just kidding. What you should do is replace the filler words with pauses. Eventually you won't pause as much and will only use purposeful pauses, but that'll be the next step. All right, now when it comes to lecture, my perspective on lecturing, and you know, I didn't really get a whole lot of training in lecture when I was in college, and I kind of wish I had more training. There is this age to minute ratio I like to follow. I don't remember exactly where I heard this, but it, it kind of makes sense, and being someone who's taught kids of various ages, it kind of makes sense. So the rule is, however old the students are, or whatever age you are teaching, you shouldn't speak to them for more minutes than their age is. So they're likely not going to be able to listen for longer than however old they are. So if you're teaching 10 year olds, you probably shouldn't lecture for more than 10 minutes. If you're teaching 15 year olds, you probably shouldn't lecture for more than 15 minutes. I mean, think about how long you would want to listen to a speaker. And I'm not saying how long you can listen, but how long would you prefer to listen? I mean, honestly, how long would you prefer to listen? It's probably not that long of a time. Now, of course, if the speaker has something interesting to say, you'd be able to listen for a longer period of time without losing interest. But in general, people are not going to want to listen to someone lecture for very long. And the same can be true of students. You might be able to get away with longer lectures if the topic is interesting and there's a little bit of interaction and there's a little bit of discussion, but that's if the topic's interesting to students. Not to you, but to students. You know, I'm very interested in the topics that I teach, but I often have to remind myself that students aren't necessarily going to be as interested in the topic as I am, right? So the more interesting the topic is, the longer you can probably lecture on that topic. But the reverse is true as well. If the, if the topic's not that interesting, you should probably minimize the amount of time you're lecturing to students and kind of using lecture as a, as a strategy. So like I said, lecture is actually one of the strategies that I wish I had more instruction on when I was in my credential program. I do think it's an important skill that you should develop as a teacher. There's so much focus on collaboration, differentiation, classroom activities, that I think we often forget how important it is to be able to lecture effectively. Articulating a confusing or complex concept to a student is a skill. And you'll need to develop language that will help students kind of be unhindered in their learning. You'll want to be able to explain complex concepts and develop a voice that can command a room. I remember a time early on in my teaching that I was trying to explain a math problem to one of my kids. And this was when I was working at an elementary school. 
And just a little bit of background on my math ability. I've always been good at math, but I've never really liked it. So I never really learned the right way to do mathematics. I just kind of figured out math problems by using sheer logic and kind of staring at them. But anyway, uh, I was explaining a math problem to a student and no matter how many times I walked him through the steps of the math problem, he just couldn't understand what I was talking about. I was trying to explain how to solve the problem and I went through the steps one by one with examples with examples and he just couldn't get it. And to be frank with you, I know it's because I wasn't explaining it very well. I think maybe I even confused him more than just reading the directions out of the textbook. And I felt really bad. I felt awkward. And I ended up just kind of encouraging the student and told him, you know, you might not understand this now, but maybe with some more time you'll understand. So don't worry about it now and we'll come back to this later. And I kind of moved on from that and that was it. I felt really bad that I couldn't explain this concept to the student, but it was partially because I didn't have enough of a command of that content. For me, as I developed a better command for my content, uh, the easier it became to teach it. It's like any profession. You know, the more you do something, the better you get at it. And when you have to train a new person, the first time you do it, you might not do it so well, but as you do it more and more, you kind of develop a knack for it. For me, it's kind of like my coaching career. I had played sports in high school and college, and I thought that college would have been my peak athletically. And in some ways, yes, it was. I mean, of course, I'm never going to be able to run as fast as I did when I was in college. I'm never going to be able to sprint as fast as I did when I was in college or jump as high as I did. But the interesting thing is that the basic skills, the basic athletic skills to play sports, fundamentals of sports, I'm the best that I've ever been as I am right now, right? Many, many years older than I was many, many years past my athletic peak. Because the more I've coached and taught the basic skills to my players, the better and better I've got at it. I mean, I'm at a point now where I don't even really think about the fundamentals and I just kind of know them and I do them. And I think this is how it will be for your content in your classroom as well. You might have been good at whatever content you're teaching, you know, whatever subject you majored in, you're probably really good at it or you probably picked something that you like. But having enough mastery of that content to be good at teaching that content to students is going to have to develop over time. It's going to take at least a couple of years to develop the confidence and command of your subject that you'll be comfortable with. The more you teach, the more mastery you'll develop, and also the more explanations you'll develop, the more analogies you'll develop, the more examples you'll develop to help students understand what you're talking about. All right, well, I do want to respect your time, so I'm going to go ahead and wrap up here. But if you have any questions, comments, or concerns, you can head over to the podcast website, which is teacherpodcast.squarespace.com, or you can contact me at contactnewteacherpodcast at gmail.com. 
and I'd be happy to talk about any subjects that you'd like me to talk about or answer any questions you have. I hope your last week was good and this next one will be as well. Have a good week. Bye.